And as we look at it, that is life under, the sun, uh, under heaven, right? That is life under the sun. And it's just as David danced before the Lord, and, it, and everyone else for that matter, with great joy when the ark came back to Jerusalem. We see a few chapters later that he cried deeply at the death of his son. And we will have seasons of unbelievable joy and we'll have seasons of deep pain in our life and we just know that and we can expect that. And the point of this poem is to remind us of the inevitable seasons of life under the sun. These are all seasons that we will experience in our life. And as we read this poem, it appears to reveal this great absurdity of life. Because as we look through those things, they cancel each other out, right? There's 14 pluses, and there's 14 minuses, and 14 minus 14 is zero, right? Every life ends in death. Net gain, zero. Every plant gets plucked. Net gain, zero. Every building that will be built will also be knocked down. Net gain, zero. So what is the point? Right? What is the the point of life? And that's the whole purpose of this book. That's the whole purpose of this passage is to make us ask, what is the point? And in case you didn't get there on your own, the author takes you there in verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy. And so the author here asks the same question again. What is the point? What do we have to gain in life if in this life is all we have? What's the purpose of this life? Well, if this world is all that you have, then yes. All the seasons that you go through are completely meaningless. All the seasons that you go through don't mean anything. They cancel each other out and then you die. That's how life will work. And on a practical level on a logical level as we're doing a zero-sum budget in our mind of life we think that makes sense but the real problem is as we start to think about that even now as i say it there's a frustration in your heart and you say no no no, life's got to be more than that right it frustrates us because we know that there's some meaning to life there's some meaning to this current season of life that i'm in there has to be something i'm just missing it And there is a frustration there. That's what's causing that frustration in us. Man, these are the times I get so frustrated with my kids because something happened and I asked them, what happened? And it doesn't make sense what they're telling me. I know I'm missing something. I know that there's something, my kids are great, unintentionally being left out, right? I'm not getting the full story as I'm listening to them and I know something is missing and I get so frustrated because it doesn't fit nicely together in my beliefs. It doesn't fit nicely together with what I know. So it's difficult to actually make sense of what is going on at that time. And it's in the same way that we get frustrated when we only see a a fragmented picture of our life. We just see a single point or a single time in our life and we know that there's more to this life. We just can't see it. We just don't always know what it is and that's frustrating. That causes tension in our life. This author is a smart man. And as he's set this book up, he's walking you on a journey. And he knows that you're asking this question. So what happens in verse 11? He tells you what that frustration is. 
And he says this, he says, He, he's referring to God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, the author tells us that God has made everything beautiful. God made everything good and right, and everything perfectly fits into its perfect place at the perfect time on the spectrum of eternity. And on the spectrum of eternity, the seasons of nature and the patterns of human activity have all been appointed to the exact right time, to the exact right place by God himself. From beginning to end, God always does the right thing at the right time. That's the beauty of it. And after acknowledging the beauty of God's sovereign authority over time, the author points out the frustration that we have in our hearts. He points out this frustration that we have with our earthly existence. Right? He says this, that God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, the truth is we are born with this longing for eternity. We are born with this desire to live more. We are born with a life that goes beyond the reach, beyond the understanding of what we call time, beyond our time boundaries. So basically we get caught between God's unrestricted eternity and our limited understanding of time. And we are in the middle. We get so frustrated because we can't get past this fragmented image to see the whole picture. We know there's more to see. There's a desire in our life that God has placed that into our lives that we would want to know more, that we would seek to know more than just what we see from life under heaven. See, on one hand, God has put eternity into our hearts. We were made to live forever, Scripture tells us. We have a desperate longing for life with God for all of eternity. If we keep it in Scripture, we see the, the eternal God has made an everlasting, that's a forever covenant, to give us a kingdom that will last forever. These are all promises of eternity that we find in Scripture that God has placed on our hearts. And He gives this eternal life to anyone who believes in His Son, Jesus, right? who gave His life for our sins, who defeated death for all of eternity, so we could live forever with Him. Right? Our heart, as we read, our future is in eternity. It's in the, the hope of time that doesn't exist, that breaks all boundaries, that for all of eternity we will be with God. But on the other hand, as finite creatures living in a fallen world, there's a huge gap between our perspective of time and God's reality of eternity. See, God has a complete view of the whole thing. God has a complete view, and all we have is a point of view. We just see a single speck on the history of eternity. And our limited, limited perspective is unable to even fathom, to even guess, to even imagine the span of God's mind, the span of eternity. Right, this has been the frustration that we have dealt with in these first three chapters, this author's frustration from the very beginning is his limited knowledge. Right, this is one of the key themes in Ecclesiastes, is man's limited knowledge. 
Right? That's the, the purpose, as we talked about before, it's the purpose of exposing that reality in order to drive us to faith in God. That limited knowledge, that lack of understanding points us towards God. So we are trapped between time as we can understand and time as God has planned. We must trust that God uses each detail to work out a grander plan. We need to understand a divine purpose and plan that was set in motion at the beginning of time and will work out beautifully by the end. And it will be a perfect plan designed by a perfect God. There is a sovereign God and He's reigning over all things who not only sees what will happen, right? He doesn't just know what's going on, but our God has declared everything that has happened and will happen. He knows it all and He has planned it and He has set things into motion. And we cannot always make sense of our lives. Right, we desperately want to understand what is going on. But the truth is, only God knows. And at times, our limited understanding is frustrating. And at other times, it's really frustrating as we try to figure out what God is doing. But as we continue in this passage, we see that the, the author, he actually encourages us not to be frustrated with our lack of understanding but to enjoy the seasons, to enjoy the time that God has given to you as a gift. Enjoy the things that God has given you. Enjoy satisfaction in God. Enjoy knowing God. Right? Everything that's happening around us is a gift from God. He goes on in verse 12 to say, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I want to clear something up right now. This is not to a call or a directive to live some drunken, debauchery life. Right? That's, that's not what this author is saying. As you look at this, as you look at the Hebrew, these are all positive terms of joy, all positive terms of excitement. This is talking about finding rest in God and enjoying the gifts that God has given you. This isn't talking about giving up on life and settling for second best and saying, hey, it's all, it's all meaningless, so just go get wasted and forget about your life. That's not what he's saying at all. Right? The author is speaking of these pleasures and these enjoyments. He's talking about eating and drinking, right? the good things of life. And he encourages you to do what is good. And then he reminds you, these things that are good are a gift from God. Right? These are God's gift to man. And so when he says there's nothing better than doing God's business, he's not settling for some second best baked idea. Right? He's not just saying, hey, just settle for that because that's the best that life's got. That's not what he's saying. He's saying these are gifts from God. You should enjoy them. Right? You should enjoy these. You should find these meaningful in, in your regular things of life and look for joy in these things that God has given you. The author's giving us permission to celebrate and enjoy the good things of life, right? Enjoy the pleasures that God has made for us to enjoy. Of course, it's, it's always a temptation for us to live for earthly pleasure, right? When we start serving our appetites, we start feeding our appetites instead of serving Jesus, instead of pursuing Jesus. The good things in life so easily become our God's. And you've heard that saying, and it's a bad thing when, when um, 
good things become God things, that makes them bad things. And so when we're looking at God's gifts, we're to worship and celebrate the Creator, not His things. It's just so easy for that to happen. Just the other night, I had a salted caramel bazooki from PJ's. That was a gift from God. Right? At that moment, my, my taste buds were overflowing, and I was like, this is joy, right? I can only imagine what heaven's going to be like, but it has some part of this in it. I know that, right? That is like the, the best gift that God has ever given me. That's not true. Don't go there. Man, I'm a pastor. I have weak spots. Bazookis is one of them, and for a minute I was saying, like, bazooki, God's grace, bazooki, God's grace. That's a problem in my life. Eh, that, that's a sinful time in my life. And we have to watch that because we do it with all sorts of things, whether it's food or cars or boats or money, whether it's good things like our family or our spouses. We have to be careful we don't elevate those above God. Here is the trick to resist temptations. Right? It's not avoiding all of God's good gifts to you. Rather, we avoid idolatry by grateful receiving the good things of life as blessings from God. Right? We're not to be a user and a taker, but we're to be a receiver and a thanker. Right? When we receive these things from God, when God in His generosity gives us things. We don't just walk by and say, hey, thanks. We stop and worship him and thank him for these good things that he gave us in life. Things like being able to cuddle with your children. You should do that every chance you get. You should laugh with your spouse. You should enjoy time with your friends. Nicole, plug your ears. Man, you should eat something fattening and enjoy it. It should be good, and you should take that time, and I'm just giving her our time because she knows about ice cream, right? And there's times that I'm just going to take a break and have ice cream, and you should enjoy that gift. Then go enjoy a good workout, right? Get on the bike, go for a swim, go sweat it out on a, a mountaintop, go, go sit at the beach and sleep, right? Don't have a fake sound machine on your phone. Go to the beach and listen to the waves crash and just sleep and enjoy it. Go float down a river, and do these as means of thanking your God, of worshiping your God. These are all gifts that he gave you. The author tells us that we should drink in these moments because guess what? They're not going to last forever. And we should enjoy everything that's happening around us as part of this loving plan of our heavenly Father. Right? Rather than becoming embittered by what God has not given you, we should enjoy the things he has given us. Right? We should focus on those things that he has poured into our lives, our family, our, our friends, and, and all, all our health. There's just so many different things, and each of us have different blessings that we can be thankful for. It is these things that lead us to this joyful service in God's name. Right? It is this time that he has given us. If we take that first half, this is what we need to do. We take that first part of that verse. Back in verse 10, the author talked about that the business of God is given to the children of man. But here, right here he tells us how to go about that business, that we should be joyful and energetically with gratitude for, uh, to God for the pleasure of serving him. 
Remember, Paul reminds us, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Right? We find joy in that we are serving God. And one, one good way to understand this and one good way to apply this truth, and you can go ahead and write this down, is to put this verse in first person. And we would say something like this, there is nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as I live and to eat and drink and take pleasure in all my work. This is God's gift to me. What if we read that truth? What if we memorized that truth? And that's how we started our day each day. If we started with a grateful heart and we were reminded of God's gift to us, Paul states that godliness with contentment is great gain. And as Christ's followers, we should focus our effort on pursuing holiness in our conduct and in our attitude and and in the thoughts that we have throughout the the day. In everything that we do, we should be grateful and we should choose to be content in whatever circumstances God has given us. And we have to put some context on this. Paul's writing a letter to the, the Philippians and guess where Paul is? Paul's in jail. Right? Paul knows that his chances of walking out of that jail and going somewhere other than to a death squad, right? going somewhere other than dying, are, are slim to none. And he writes this letter to the Philippians saying, you've got to be content in all that God has given you, whatever circumstance you're in. Right? He, he's, he's not writing this from the top of Space Mountain in Disneyland. Right? There's some context to Paul. Saying there's contentment in the seasons and what God has given you in life. Now some of you are, are thinking, and I know, I, I have these experiences, and we look back and from our earthly point of view, we ask ourselves, how could we ever find contentment or joy in what has happened in the past? How can we ever find something that is happening to us right now? How is this ever going to be beautiful and I'll be honest, and many of you know that one of the things I like to do is I like to go on mission trips. I like to go on disaster relief. And guess what? I'm talking with somebody who has lost everything. And they look at you and say, beautiful? Right, beautiful? How is God going to make beauty out of this? You know what the question is? Should I answer? I don't know. I, I, I don't know how God is going to do this. What I have learned is sometimes when we're facing these situations, when we're speaking or ministering to somebody who's right at the point of the fight, that's a good time to be silent. That might be a good time just to shut your mouth. That might be just a good time to maybe embrace and comfort that person. I know when the doctor confirmed our miscarriage, I remember the nurse, this was, how old was Isaac, 14, this is, or 16, 16, 17 years ago, the nurse looked me in the eye and said, this is no big deal. Half of pregnancies end in miscarriage. Right? That would have been a good time for that nurse to keep her mouth shut. Right? That's not what I wanted to hear. We were way too close to that pain. And we're in a season of mourning. That doesn't make it feel better. Right? I'm, my head, I'm, I wasn't a pastor. I was still in the Marines. So I'm like, this is a time to kill. <laughs> right? Those aren't what you say to somebody. It was a season of mourning. It was painful. And guess what? You don't have to have an answer. I just spent the first half of the sermon saying you don't know everything. When somebody's in pain, when somebody's hurting, it's okay to say, I don't know. When you're hurting, it's okay to not know why. But then the author goes that we, even in our hurt, we can trust God and we can be confident that his plan is good. 
verse 14, the author says this. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. God knows us. Right? And God holds us in that pain that we feel. And we feel like this jagged piece of glass is just cutting us. And he says to us that once we step back from that pain and once we look, we will see that that glass, that jagged piece is some part of some beautiful stained glass window that we can't see. And it's gorgeous. Yes, it hurts. Yes, that pain hurts. But God has you. God is holding you. And we know that we can trust him. Right? This is the God who turns evil into good. This is the, the God of Joseph, a man that was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was wrongfully imprisoned. He was forgot about by the guy in prison that he helped get out. And God uses all of that time to not only save the nation of, of Egypt, but ultimately Israel. That is Israel that comes through him and his brothers. And it was God's plan, as Joseph tells his own brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And it's this vanity, this mist-like of these seasons in our life that causes the author to reflect on what is permanent. Right? It causes the author to reflect on those things that are everlasting, namely God and his sovereignty. Right? He, he focuses back on God and his sovereignty over all of human affairs. And for some people, this causes us a problem. Right? For some people, we resent God's control over time and eternity. We, we resent God's control over our lives, and we would, we would rather set our own agendas. We would rather set our own plans. We would rather say, hey, this is how things are going to work out. I get a pick. But the author of Ecclesiastes, he gives us this wisdom, and he helps us to see the beauty of God's sovereignty. He helps to remind us that all things will work out perfectly. Not only is there a time for everything, but God always does the right thing at just the right time. And therefore, the author praises God for his beautiful timing. And then he encourages us to enjoy what God is doing during all the seasons of our life. Right? That we don't get weighed down by one aspect, but we look at these seasons and we enjoy them. Right? It's all in God's timing. And rather than insisting on having everything run according to our own schedule, we just need to learn to lean on God. We need to learn to trust God. This is a, 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 a thing that I wish... I was just teaching you without experiencing it. But there are many times in our life, and just recently there's been things that Melissa and I are just going through, and we're saying, we can't control this. We don't have an answer to this. But we will trust God through this season. Just the other night, last night, we were walking. I said, Melissa, I know why we're having all these difficulties. Because God wanted me to be able to preach on this situation. Right? Do we trust in God? Do we trust God's timetable? Let me give you two things. that We should know this, that the Savior who was born, and Scripture tells us, when the fullness of time had come. So at the right time, the Savior was born, and then he died for our sins at just the right time. 
He came at just the right time and he died at just the right time. Those are the only two things we need to know in our lives. Right? Our Savior came and our Savior died for us. That's a beautiful sense of timing that our God has. And church, we need to look back at our lives and we need to trust God and we need to enjoy each of those seasons in our life. But church, we also need to trust God in the difficult times. Right? The, the scripture tells us that it's trials and tribulations that help grow us. It is the trials and tribulations that make us more like Jesus, which is, as Christians, our goal in life. Right? That we should count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It is those trials that help to grow us. And maybe it was some of your darkest days that led you to a relationship with the Lord. Maybe it was a season of your life. It was the most, it was rock bottom. You said, it can't get lower than this. But God used that time and he led you to him. Guess what? Praise God for that season. Praise God for that event. Praise God that now, whatever that situation was, you will be completely healed and you will have complete joy for eternity. Whatever he does will endure. Scripture tells that once he has saved you as the Savior, it will endure. It will last forever. It will not be broken. No one can add to it or subtract from it. And that's now until forever. That's now for all of eternity. And we have to ask ourselves, this is a question, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? In other words, when we hear that God is sovereign, we hear that God is in complete control, we hear that God knows that everything happens and it turns out beautiful. Do we see the absolute rule of God as a source of hope or do we see that as a discouragement in our life? Ecclesiastes gives us the answer when it tells us why God does what he does. If you look in that passage, God does what he does so that people fear before him. And when we look through scripture, we hear this all the time, to, to, to fear God, to fear God, to fear God. Well, to fear God is simply to, re, to reveal him, to be aware, to tremble at his mighty power. Both the Psalms and the Proverbs, they say that such fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. And that anyone who fails to seek it, anyone who turns away from it, they're a fool. Right? They're, they're a fool. And if we remember when we look back at week one and we're looking at this book, in chapter 12, verse 13, it gives us one simple instruction to take away from this book. Fear God. Right? Don't be a fool. That was the purpose of this book, is that you should fear God, you should turn to God. Don't be a fool. To fear God is to trust God. To rest our lives on the only sound foundation that will last for all of eternity. The only place we will find comfort for all of eternity. To fear God is to trust in his foreknowledge. Believing that he knows all things. Including the joys in your life. Including the trials in your life. He knows about each one of them. And to fear God is to believe that he is still in control. Even when we can't see what's going on. Even what we can see doesn't make sense. Right? God is still in control. Right? As, as much as we would like to think that we know everything, we don't know anything. 
You know, for, for example, my son was supposed to be studying for a final. And I challenged him on it. I said, why are you watching TV? You should be studying for a final. And he says, no, Dad, I'm good. I said, I don't believe you. And he said, no, I've worked really hard. I'm ready for this test. So what do I do after he takes the final? I pull out my phone. Good thing these didn't exist when I was a kid. And I start looking at his grade. And I look. Find out he got a 56. Right? Found out like 10 in the morning he got a 56. So all day, as I was sitting preparing for the sermon and happy thoughts and all that good stuff, I'm thinking about how I'm going to kill him. <laughs> right? I'm thinking about how I'm going to torture him. I'm thinking, that is not acceptable. And I walk in the door and Melissa says, hey, Aren't you proud of Isaac? He got a 56. No, I'm not. What do you mean he got a 56? And she said, did you see the picture I sent you? And I said, yeah, it said he got a 56. And she scrolls over and it's a 56 out of 60. Hey, that's okay. (laughs) Right? That's good. I thought I knew what was going on. I had no idea. Right? And sometimes that's how we are in life. We have to ask ourselves, man, do we, do we fear God? Do we trust that God knows what's going on? Do we trust that God loves us? Do we trust that God is holding us? Even when we're going through the darkest, toughest, hardest seasons, do we trust God knows what is going on? Because the truth is, is, if we fear God, we don't need to fear anything else. The same God that has put eternity into our hearts will make everything beautiful, including things that were past and present that now seem lost or broken or no way to make them beautiful. God can. God does. Just in the scripture we read, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Church, we can't always explain the seasons of our life, but we will experience life. And that will sometimes mean enduring And other times that will mean enjoying. But God will use each of those seasons to turn us towards him, to draw us towards him, to help us to grow like him in character and godliness. And if we don't know them, here we see in in verse 15 that God will use these times to seek what has been driven away. Right As we turn our back on him, as we pursue things of our life, God's going to put situations in our life that draw us back to him. And church, I, I don't know what season each of you are in. It's, it's impossible. I know what some of you are in. I don't know what each of you are in. But my guess is in a church this size, we hit the whole spectrum of seasons of life. Right? We hit people that are really good and really, really bad spots. But I believe that they're all represented. I don't, I don't know. But here's something that I do know. Is that that season that you're in will end. That season is not going to last forever. It's going to change That season will end, but I do know this, that eternity with God is just beginning. And I know that eternity with God, there will be no death or no weeping, no mourning, no hate, no war. I know that life with God will only be filled with laughter and dancing and love and peace. Church, through trust in Jesus, our seasons don't add up to zero. They add up to the abundant life that Jesus promised. Right? These seasons that we're going through, they will come to an end. But the joy of living in Jesus will last for all eternity. And we have to praise God for each of the seasons that draw us to him. Church, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to start to close this service. And if you've 
never given your life to Christ. If you've never experienced this abundant life, if you're just going from meaningless to meaningless to meaningless, but God has grabbed your heart, we want to celebrate with you. Right? We want to, I want to pray with you. And I would just ask if you've never made that commitment to follow Christ, that you would either check it on the card in front of you, that you would come up and see me, that you would email me, and we can talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We could talk about what it means to, to follow Christ. And maybe you've done that before, and you said, I've never been baptized. And you're like, I don't know if I've I, I made this commitment, but I don't know when. I don't know what that looks like. I've never been baptized. Well, here's the thing about baptism. That gives us a point. Right? We say, hey, this is that time I committed. This is when I'm going to follow Jesus. If you've never done that, I would love to talk with you and share with you. Again, you can put that on your card. You can come see me. You can email me. My, my email's out in the foyer for, for anybody to, to contact me. But there's still some of you that are going through a tough season. Right? The, probably a trip to the doctor's office made it a bad season for you. Right? Maybe a meeting with a family member has made it a bad season for you. Church, that season is going to be temporary. God is in control, and God loves you, and God is holding you, and God is going to, to walk with you through that. And if you want somebody to pray with you, if you want somebody to walk with you, again, we have, come see me, we have deacons, we have people that can do that. And when Melissa was a little, little child and she was scared, and her dad said, hey, you know Jesus is with you. And she said, yeah, but sometimes I want somebody with skin on. Right? Let the church be that skin for you. You don't have to walk through this alone. You don't have to go through this season alone. When I tell you that all these seasons are represented, I promise you there's people in this church that have gone through something similar to what you were going through. And they would love to pray with you and they would love to hold your hand. They would love to walk with you through that. And so if that is you and you just need prayer, you need help, put it on the connection card, come see me, email me, call me. But let's do this together, church. Church, I love you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come together as a church and worship you, Lord. We thank you for these seasons in our life that you have put, and we are so grateful for the ones that have drawn us to you as we turned away. Lord, we go through seasons, and they can be tough, and they can be difficult. But Lord, we trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your care. Lord, we trust in your love for us. We, we know that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, we would just pray that as we walk through these seasons of mourning or these seasons of weeping, that you would just make your beauty known to us. Lord, that you would reveal yourself in such a powerful way that our faith in you would grow stronger and stronger each day. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your son's name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand one last time and sing our praises to the Lion and the Lamb. He's coming on the clouds Kings and kingdoms will bow down And every chain will break As broken hearts declare His praise Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah 
He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Just carry that with you throughout this week. Just remember the lion and the lamb. Just praise his name every day and make sure you try to tell someone else about him and live your life for Jesus this week. We'll see you back next week.